Welcome to Dissecting Education, where we take a spherical look at the education landscape from many vantage points. We're your hosts, Melanie Hicks and Rachel Jones. We're excited you're here with us. Let's get started. Welcome. In this episode of Dissecting Education, I had the opportunity to speak with Chad Dumas about his knowledge and expertise in leading professional learning communities. With over two decades of successful leadership experience, Chad has led significant improvements for both students and staff in this area. He shares his research and knowledge in his new books, Let's Put the C in PLC, and an action guide to put the C in PLC, and consulting that includes research, stories, hands-on tools, useful knowledge, and practical skills. Join us in welcoming Chad. All right. Well, welcome. We are so excited to have you on this episode. Well, Um, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Why don't you go ahead and give us a little bit more information that wasn't in your short bio? Yeah. So a little bit more about me. So uh, I actually started out as a vocal music teacher, uh, a middle school vocal music teacher. So if I come off as a little bit, you know, middle schooly, that's probably why. Um, I was born and raised in uh, Western Nebraska. My parents are both educators, and uh, despite their best efforts to kind of steer me clear away from education, um, I went into education. And um, when I graduated from high school in North Platte High School out in West Central Nebraska, uh, I took a gap year. You know, uh, back in those days, people didn't know what to call it. Now, now they've got a term for it: a gap year. Right. Um, where I went to Israel and uh, spent a year as a gardener at the World Center for the Baha'i Faith in Haifa, Israel, in the northern part of Israel. And um, that uh, really opened my eyes to the possibilities of uh, not, not only who we can be as people, but um, the, the interconnectedness of all of us as a people on this planet. And uh, I came back from that one year long experience uh, as a gardener working with people from about 80 different countries um, and um, you know, living with, working with you know, my flatmates. Uh, they call them flats over there instead of apartments. Uh, so my, you know, my flatmates, uh, the first flat I lived in at the base of Mount Carmel in uh, northern Israel uh, were from Ireland, Cameroon, and Sweden. And then, you know, from there, I, you know, people are coming and going all the time because, you know, different one year or 18 month service stints. So people are, you know, coming in and out all the time. And so I also lived with people from uh, Bolivia, Honduras, Canada. Um, I, I don't remember where all else from, but uh, wow. you know, just had this incredible experience with people from all over the world um, and really came to see how we are really one planet and uh, one human race and that um, we have to work together and learn to live together as a people. Um, so so that's when I came back then and started my uh, degree program at the University of Nebraska and was a music teacher. And uh, the rest is history, as they say. <laughs> wow. What a what a unique and beautiful way to launch your career as, a, as an educator, right? I mean, a lot of people don't yeah. necessarily gain that type of perspective so early on. Um, so I'm, I'm sure that that really impacted you as you went through school and also then as you became a teacher. Um, can you share a little bit about that? Like, what were some of the things you took away that you were able to apply right away? Yeah, well, 
it was, uh, you know, it was an incredible opportunity. Not only, you know, th those were the days where pre-cell phones, where, right. you know, and uh, the World Wide Web was just starting to come on. This was 94, 95. Um, email was just starting to get, uh, like, towards the end of my service there, I was, my parents had an AOL email account, and so I was able to email them. But, you know, like, I was on my own. And, you know, learning to navigate the world on my own halfway across the world, you know, without parents there to, you know, shepherd you through these challenges and those challenges. Um, so I think that that was pretty powerful to then come back and be able to apply, you know, and, and going to the university and, and having had that experience of um, really growing up, um, whereas most university freshmen come in kind of uh, eyes wide open and, you know, they're, they have right. no clue what's going on and, um, and struggle, quite frankly. And, and because of that, I'm an advocate for gap years. I think that's a really good thing for kids. Um, my, both of our boys did a gap year and it was really powerful for them. Uh, and I really wish our systems were set up to more easily accommodate those gap years for kids because I think they really are whether it's going to do a year of work, a year of service, a year of military, a year of whatever, it's a really good thing for them. And I, and I advocate that for kids, you know, take a year and uh, you don't need to know what you're going to do with the rest of your life when you're 17 and 18 years old. It's okay. Uh, you've got some time. So that's like the first thing. Um, the second big thing that really impacted me was um, a dear friend of mine, Marco Verhagen, from um, Belgium, I believe, or Denmark, um, one of the Netherlands, one of those little countries up in the north that I never, I always get confused about. Um, he kind of trained me in the gardens department. And some, for some reason, one day we came across this conversation about the number of continents that there are on the planet. And um, as any good American educated person would say, Rachel, I'm sure you could tell me, how many, how many continents are there, Rachel? <laughs> Well, we learned about seven, so. Yes, that's exactly right. And that's probably about seventh grade. We learned about seven continents and this is just a fact and we know it and there's, there's no questions asked, right? That's it. Right. Well, come to find out from Marco that, um, that he was taught that there are five continents. Oh, wow. And we started to have this conversation back and forth about how many continents are there. And um, kind of a friendly banter almost. And so I started asking, here I am with people from 80 different countries. Uh, I might as well ask around, how many country, how many continents are there? And so I asked people from Australia and New Zealand and South Africa and England, you know, the whole planet, everyone, with the exception of Canadians and Americans, everybody said there's five continents. Oh, wow. Americans all said seven and Canadians would say, uh, wait, you're American? Okay, seven. Because <laughs> they knew that we teach seven, but yet they're, they're taught five. And so this really changed my perspective about what is, uh, what is truth and what is fact and what is uh, perception and the importance of understanding each other's perspective. Right. That if you say there's five continents and I say there's seven continents, um, neither one of us is right we have different perspectives and we need to inquire into each other's thinking. And so uh, I liken it to uh, like a beach ball. That if I held a beach ball up and you said it's red, the ball is red. You didn't know it was a beach ball, but you just saw the red part. You'd say it's a red ball. And I had the yellow part and I'd say it's yellow. And somebody else said it's blue. 
well, we just have different perspectives at looking at this same beach ball. And so um, how much more is that with other things that are far more complex? And so, um, so that's really influenced by my life in terms of thinking about how I inquire into other people's perspectives and thinking uh, to better understand where they're coming from as opposed to posturing and um, saying that uh, I'm right and you're wrong. That's such a, that is such a great perspective to have, especially I think in this day and age where there's, there's, it seems to be decreasing that, um, you know, inquisitiveness about people and asking questions. And there's just a lot of opinions, right? People think I'm really confident in my opinion and almost want to um, potentially argue back and forth versus really find out why, you know, I wonder why that person has an opposing opinion. So that's really powerful. Yeah, exactly. It's so very true. And uh, of course, people are typically wondering, okay, Chad, so what are those five continents that uh, yes, the rest of the yes. country is what, taught? What did they say? <laughs> so uh, first of all, North and South America is considered one. It's the Americas. And then Europe, Africa, Asia, and then Australasia. They do not count Antarctica as okay. a separate continent. So Antarctica is not counted as a continent. And then North and South America are one. So there's your five. Oh, that makes sense. I think that's so interesting. There's, there's so many questions like that, that you could ask um, a group of people that are just a diverse group mm-hmm. of people. And as I said before, I think this whole experience that you had, like having that as a teenager, and then going into your, your teaching career and already having that perspective, everything was probably kind of built on that, which is so incredibly so. powerful. Yes. Um, to be yeah. instilling that in, into students right from the beginning. Yes, very, very much so. Yeah, yeah. And not just into students, but into each other as colleagues. Absolutely. You know, as the adults in the building, inquiring into each other's practice, inquiring into each other's perspectives, um, uh, seeking, well, you know, Steve Covey said it best, you know, seek first to understand, right? Yes. Um, yes. And then to be understood. And so that that comes in that order for a reason. So speaking of, of learning from your colleagues, I know that you've done a lot with PLCs. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell me, I, I'm a huge advocate of PLCs when I was um, a classroom teacher and a um, literacy coach. I've always loved PL, the PLC environment because people just take away so much. They build goals together. They really work as one. So tell me a little bit about you know, how you got into that and um, where, where that has taken you in your career. Yeah. So I was really fortunate early on in my career, maybe my first or second year to be introduced to the idea of professional learning communities, PLCs. Uh, So that like I started teaching in 99. So somewhere around 2000, 2001, some colleagues, maybe uh, kind of some mentor type colleagues at school gave me some PDK articles and the ASCD articles. I'm assuming they were the, you know, the DeFores at the time, or um, maybe some learning forward things. I'm not sure. I didn't even, you know, understand who or what these things were. But this idea just really like intrigued me of what is a professional learning community and how do we go about doing that work? And so then um, in 2004 or five, I was hired at an intermediate service agency to provide professional development in schools um, in about 30 some different schools um, in a 10,000 square mile radius. And 
I decided as part of that time there, because my focus was on adult learning, that my professional goal would focus in on better understanding what our professional learning communities. And so I, you know, jumped into the research to try to learn everything I could and was really blessed in February of 2005 to be able to attend a two-day institute uh, back before they were called institutes, um, a two-day training with the gurus, Rick and Becky DeFore. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, and so it was just them, you know, now Solution Tree has these institutes and they're really incredible. Uh, you know, they've got music and a stage and lots of different speakers and keynotes and breakouts and this and that. Uh, this was pre then, pre-institute. Pre so it was just two days, you know, eight to four with just Rick and Becky on the stage working with us for those two full days, an incredible learning experience. And really, you know, through that, it really clarified my vision of what are professional learning communities and uh, and it galvanized my resolve that you know this is the right work and this is what we need to be doing to improve our practice and to meet the needs of kids and um, so so that kind of you know from there then that kind of launched my trajectory of doing that work and then my you know dissertation was around how do you what is a principle need to know the building principle to build this collaborative environment and identify 10 elements from the research and and that dissertation was a finalist for best dissertation from PDK and and it did receive best research from learning forward. Um, and then I was, you know, a high school principal able to apply those ideas in practice and a central office administrator working with um, eight buildings in the district. When I first started, there were eight buildings in that district. Um, one or two of them combined into one over that time. But out of those seven then buildings, five of them became national models for improving student learning through the That's PLC. Amazing. Yeah. It was really incredible. We built a really fantastic team. Uh, most of that team is still in place there in uh, Hastings, Nebraska, high poverty, high diversity district um, that when I arrived was identified as, quote, persistently lowest achieving uh, by the state. But, yeah, you know, within a five, six, seven years, we had, you know, five out of those seven schools and the other two were well on their way as well to becoming national models. So um, so that's been, you know, my career has been really ever since being introduced to the idea early on and then really right. you know, becoming a student of the work. Um, and then when I started to become a consultant a little over a year ago, uh, a lot of the work has resolved, revolved around PLC work. And then uh, this last spring became an associate with Solution Tree. And so I've uh, been blessed, really blessed to be able to go and work with schools through Solution Tree to help engage in the professional learning community practices so that we can um, create these cultures where we as adults are learning alongside the kids and uh, reflecting on our practice so that we can meet their needs. Oh, that, that is such a, a wonderful story. And I, I always love to hear when someone's career continues to build on an aspect of the, the role that they love the most. So the fact mm. that you've really taken that to heart and continue to build on it is wonderful. Um, so some of our listeners out there, you know, might be new school administrators, they might be teachers, for people who aren't as familiar with professional learning communities, or maybe are participating, but maybe want to make it better. What are some of your tips and tricks that you can give? Yeah, so um, the first thing with professional learning communities is that the idea is very simple, really. Um, now it's not easy, it's very difficult. Right. <laughs> But it's a simple idea, and uh, and there's 50 or 60 years of research to back it up. And the simple idea is this: it's that when we as adults work together to learn to become better at our craft, 
then student learning increases. And that's really the, that's that's the 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 beginning and the end of it all, right? Now there's right. lots of little things that have to be done to make that happen, but that's like that's that's it. Um, and Rick DeFore and Bob Aker, uh, and then later on Becky DeFore, and then others, you know, following their footsteps. Um, that's that's basically it. And um, you know, Rick and Becky and Bob kind of put it together in in, in terms of these three big ideas that really revolutionize, that, that when, when I mention them, people might say, oh yeah, that makes sense. But when they're applied in practice, truly applied, it revolutionizes everything. It changes everything about what we do in schools. And, and those three big ideas are these. So first of all, we focus on learning. And, and that sounds simple enough, but it's not actually what we do in most schools. Most schools, we focus on teaching. Right. And and we're focusing on getting through a chapter, <laughs> you know, or we're focused on be the page of this by that day, or get to the this through this chapter by the end of the year, or get through these dates in history by the this point to the end, right? We're focusing right. on the teaching, not the learning. And so when we focus on the learning, that changes everything. It's about the students and and did they learn it or not? Not did I teach it or not. So that's the first big idea. The second big idea is that we're going to work together to make sure that we're getting kids to their learning and take collective responsibility as part of that working together. So it's not just my kids and your kids, it's our kids, no matter the content area or grade level, it's all of our kids and we're going to work together to do that. Again, people might say, well, yeah, that makes sense. The problem is that schools, as they are typically set up, don't uh, facilitate working together, right? That is, that's right. It, it can become very siloed very, very siloed. quickly because yep. you're in that yep. classroom with the, your assigned students for most of the day. So you really yep. have to make an effort. Yep. Uh, Rick would say, Rick DeFore would say that, you know, schools tend to be a collection of independent contractors <laughs> connected by a common parking lot. <laughs> You know, and we, we're, we're polite to each other. We have good conversations. We say hello in the hallway. We have lunch together. We have, you know, jeans Fridays and, you know, potlucks and things like this. And we're collegial with each other, but we're not collaborative and we're not working together to improve student learning. Back to that big idea, right? right. So, so we have to shift the culture that we are working together to, to improve our practice and results. And then the third big idea is that we use our results, that we have a results-minded mentality and relating back to learning. If the kids aren't learning it, then I've got to do something together. We're going to work together and figure out a new way to get kids to learn it because we are going to use our results. And we're not just using state test results, right? At the end of the year, we're not going to wait to the end of the year. It's too late. Right. We're going to set up intentionally over the course of week by week, some common formative assessments as a team, because we're working together, that we're going to set those up and we're going to use them to then inform our practice and use those results to change our practice together because we're focusing on learning. And so those are really the three big ideas that, we, that, that changes everything in the school. Um, now, if, if you, you started this conversation by saying, you know, school leaders or someone who's wanting to get start this process, um, there's lots of wonderful books out there to help with that. And Solution Tree has amazing resources. And I'd also plug my own book. <laughs> yes, I was. Because, well, that was going to be my next question. I did see that you're an author as well. So go ahead and plug your own book. <laughs> yeah. So because that lays out specifically for school leaders, 
and leaders in a broad sense of the term, not just building principal, but school leaders in a broad sense of the term and those who support school leaders, um, the 10, 10 elements of what uh, building principles need to know to build this collaborative environment. And so it, it just lays out those 10 principles uh, from the research. I didn't make it up. I just pulled from you know Michael Fullen and um, McLaughlin and uh, Shirley Horde and Rick and Becky DeFore and Bob Aker, you know, all these greats. I just kind of, you know, pulled it all together and said, here you go. Here's a nice consolidated list of 10 things. Yeah, that's that's really helpful. And I think practical, because I think that's where my initial question stem, stemmed from. You know, there's all of these initiatives that schools have, right? Whether yeah. you're a teacher or you're a principal or you're working at the district, there's there's so many initiatives. And it's really hard, I think, to prioritize. But I think the way that you described it is, is so simple. You have those, those three overarching themes. And if schools really put those front and center and built everything around that, it, it would work. So yeah, yeah. I guess my next question is around this. Um, when you're going into schools and you're, you know, that set of fresh eyes and you're providing coaching and, and mentoring on mm -hmm. this, um, what have you seen? And this can be kind of like a non-example um, and or an example of a team that either works really, really well, um, that you saw like them applying all of these things, or if you've walked in and you saw some, you know, maybe red flags where you thought, okay, these are the things I'm going to try to target to help them. Can you share a little bit of kind of the in the weeds things that probably everyone experiences while they're going through this that maybe, yeah. um, maybe kind of, kind of obstacles even that could um, prevent them from achieving those three things? Yeah, well, yeah, I have been fortunate to see to be on both ends of the continuum yeah. and everything in between. Um, and so, yeah, so there are some things that like um, I don't know, you said red flags or are there some things that, that I've seen that are like, okay, this this team needs some more intensive support to assist them along the journey. Um, so some of those types of things are, um, for example, an absence of an agenda. Um, if a team doesn't have an agenda, we got to get an agenda set up pretty quickly um, by the team. So the team is setting up their agenda every week. Uh, and, um, you know, at the end of each meeting, take five minutes and say, okay, what are we going to address next time? And let's set up our agenda for next time. So that's the first thing is the agenda. Uh, the second thing is what is on the agenda. Um, if, if we've got things on the agenda, like, you know, planning field trips or arrival and dismissal procedures or supervision of recess and lunch or those types right. of things, those are, those are things that have to be done at some point. Uh, they are not part of a collaborative team that's focused on those three big ideas. And so if you're spending all your time on that, you're not going to be spending time on focusing on learning working together and taking collective responsibility and using your results. So, so first of all, you have the agenda. Second of all, what is the agenda focused on? Um, and then the third thing I would say um, to, of teams that, um, that struggle is a lack of authenticity, of openness in the dialogue. Um, and typically uh, one of two symptoms, if you will, show up. One is there's no sharing. Um, from folks, uh, or, or certain folks are not sharing at all. They're just silent. Uh, and the other is the other extreme, um, you know, oversharing and talking over each other. Um, and so uh, those are some of the things that, that, that I just right off the top of my head that I've seen yeah. um, that were for teams that struggle. Now, on the other hand, um, teams that are like knocking it out of the park, um, 
they are making sure that they've got agenda, that the agenda is focused on the right work of improving their practice. They've got, typically they have roles of people in the meeting, so they're not figuring out every time who's gonna take notes, who's gonna work on this, who's gonna do that, but they've got some roles. Uh, many times they have protocols that they use for examining student performance data or creating the common formative assessments. Like there's a can do it, down to business attitude um, that we come in and we get down to business uh, and we're we're focusing on things that are in our control um, to improve our practice and results for kids so um, those are kind of some of the things that come to mind in terms of the teams that are uh, getting her done yeah those are those are great tips and tricks and i can i can even share from my own personal experience i think plcs were, were one of the first opportunities when i was a classroom teacher um, that I was an aspiring leader and I jumped in and volunteered to lead one of those groups and, and ended up leading them um, across a couple of years. And it was such a great opportunity because not only did it help me, um, you know, kind of gain those business skills that you don't necessarily have as a teacher, like you were explaining, mm -hmm. it's not always um, people don't always realize like you do need an agenda and you need to prioritize and you need to keep time and you need to follow up. Like those are things that I think we do know, but those are some of those skills that maybe aren't learned. Um, yep. but I also think it's such a great way to, um, learn how to facilitate building a culture and, you know, inspiring people to collaborate. So, I love that because I know for me personally, that was a great experience that led to um, future leadership roles. So uh -huh, I think that yeah. that's great for people that are listening that maybe aren't familiar or are working there to understand, like, even if you're not the principal, you can jump in and really make a yes. huge difference. Yeah, especially if you're not the principal. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I think there is sometimes that thought, you know, when you're in the school and you're, you know, the daily grind of, of working with your kids. I think I've often, when I've worked with teachers as a mentor, one of the first things that a lot of, if they are frustrated, will say is, you know, I want to be here doing, you know, whatever role, how would I get there? They don't see a path. So I think it's important to, to share that some of those opportunities that seem like things that I have to cross off my list, if you really look at those differently with yes. a different perspective, they can be really, really powerful. Yes, yes, very much so. And uh, that's what uh, those who are in hiring positions look to. Like they look to, has this person stepped up to the plate to help out when they're in those learning teams and to help push the team's forward, um, consulted with the decision makers to find out how to help advance the work of the team, et cetera. I mean, you know, when you, uh, those, those hiring decision makers talk to other hirers and other decision makers. Uh, and so you definitely want to engage in that practice. Um, even if you don't want to move into a future position, but, uh, for sure, if you want to move into a, uh, another position at some point. Absolutely. Um, so I know that we talked a lot about PLCs, um, circling back at the beginning, you, you shared that although both of your parents were educators, they couldn't get you to not be in education. So I'm really curious about that. Um, what made you really excited about, was it really being a classroom teacher or was education something that's just, you've seen it obviously from both of your parents, what made you want to be a teacher? So the reason, well, I should say, I, I think there were a number of reasons why they didn't want me to go into education. So um, one is the, the stress and the workload. Uh, another is the salary. 
that the teachers in, in this country in particular, uh, I don't know about other countries so much, but I know in the US are, uh, in my opinion, vastly underpaid. Um, and society does not value um, their professional stature as it should, as uh, as we should. So, uh, so I think those were a couple of things that were across their mind. Um, what what drew me to education was a couple of things. Uh, first of all, I had some amazing teachers in high school. Uh, well, throughout my career, but you know, when you're in high school and thinking about you know, the next phase, uh, those are the ones you remember as the high school ones. So, you know, uh, Mr. French was a band teacher, and Mr. Altman was my um, calculus teacher. And you know, isn't that something? You know, twenty some years later, remember their names because um, they had that impact on me. And I thought, you know, that's that's a really cool thing that they have that impact on kids. So that was the first thing uh, of having some great teachers in high school. And then the second thing that really um, sent me down that path was I love music. Um, I was a pianist and a baritone player and um, had played several other instruments throughout middle school and high school. And so uh, I knew that I, I wasn't good enough to make it on the performing stage. Um, <laughs> you know, you have to be really good and people don't, you know, people would say, oh, but you're so good. Um, not in comparison to those who actually make it, right? <laughs> I mean, those guys are, those guys and gals are heads and shoulders way in their own league and I I could never be you know I had this realistic assessment of my own uh, talent and skills and so but I thought you know what what if I took the two uh, loves of music and then the impact that these educators had and, and did them together and was a music educator and so uh, so that's why I went into uh, education was for those two reasons um, and and if you would have told me um, you know, 30 years ago, 20, about 25 years ago, when I started down that path that I would um, barely play the piano and, um, you know, <laughs> listen to NPR as my music. And that was about it. Uh, I probably would have said that's, that's crazy. That's never the case. But that's, you know, the how, how our journeys go and uh, our life path. And I love music. I enjoy getting to concerts whenever I can, um, but uh, have very little to do with music anymore. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting how our journeys can kind of shift, shift and, and shape into new things. Um, yeah. I have to know, though, you are a music lover. So what is your your favorite music, like genre or musicians? Yeah, well, um, classical music, uh, romantic specifically, uh, for those who are you know more into the to the historical perspective. Chopin is my absolute favorite um, composer. I suppose Beethoven would be after that. Um, maybe uh, Mozart's a distance third after that, but uh, for sure Chopin. I love anything Chopin. Uh, you know, of course he was a pianist and um, I, I think everything he wrote was for piano and uh, just incredible sounds, the richness and um, emotion that is in his music is absolutely incredible. And so I just, I love Chopin. I love that. I love that so much. I think music is, is such a powerful tool, whether you are a musician or you're, I've heard so many people's stories about how music has impacted them or, you know, led them down a path. And it's, it's such a powerful tool. So it really is. I'm sure as a music teacher, you had a lot of fun kind of instilling that love and passion for music in your students, even the ones that maybe didn't love music as much as you think, <laughs> or they gained something from it. <laughs> yeah, very much so. And, you know, to this day, you know, I do trainings and workshops all over the place, and, and I use music as part of those. You know, uh, somebody said, you know, use music 
in those workshops or trainings, like a director of a movie uses music in the movie to set the mood, to influence where you're going and this and that. And so I, I do that for the workshops and trainings that I do, of, you know, all, I'm, I think just about every time I've done a workshop in the last, um, well, since I, before I was a consultant, even when I was in a district, uh, people come up and say, hey, I love your music, really appreciate the selection and such. So um, I think others enjoy that as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I know that you um, said a little bit about, you know, why you became a teacher and some of your former teachers inspired you. Do you have a particular um, memory that stands out or a teacher that really impacted you? I have so many um, experiences and memories that impact me. Um, going all the way back to, you know, kindergarten really um but i can think of like uh mrs thompson i was fortunate to have mrs thompson both in third grade and in fifth grade uh and she was an incredible teacher uh miss stittle in fifth grade um the what i remember about her is she made us memorize a ton um so we had to memorize the preamble to the constitution and the first two or three paragraphs of the gettysburg address and the 40 presidents in order um at that time it was 40 you know now we're up to 46 but you know she would she would rattle them off and we'd have to wad it rattle them off you know washington adams jefferson madison adams jackson beer and aris style book tale you know um can you imagine here i am what i was in fifth grade in the mid 80s and and here i still remember the 40 presidents and have added on to it since then um and then you know middle school some of the great teachers there um for me I would I would share the high school band director, Mr. French, uh, Virgil French. Um, he probably had more impact on me than any of the others, um, partly because it was music, but partly because of how he treated us as students and as people um, and the little life lessons that he would provide to us throughout uh, the rehearsals that he would um, share with us little tips and tricks to help us along the life journey. and. Um, I don't know how good of a music teacher he was, <laughs> quite frankly, I don't know. Uh, that was, you know, pre me understanding a lot of music. Uh, but I do know that he was a great teacher of human beings. And that, in my opinion, is far more important uh, than any content that we could ever convey to kids. Oh, that's, that's so amazing. I love that all of your stories really do come back to that human component. And I'm sure that's what makes you successful at everything you do, because I think people that truly understand that and start with that first as their why, um, people connect with you, right? So the work that Thank you're you. doing really um, is complementary to that. Thank you. I, I hope so. That's, uh, that's, <laughs> that's the hope. We yeah. all are all human beings first, you know. Absolutely. That's such a great lesson in itself. <laughs> so I would love to know, and our audience would love to know, how can we um, find you? Or can we find you on social media, LinkedIn? Share a little bit about um, if someone wanted to connect with you and learn more. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm all over the place. Uh, probably the easiest way to find me is, um, and, and all my contact information is on my profile on Twitter. And my Twitter handle is really simple and easy. I got on there early enough. So it's just at Chad Dumas, at C-H-A-D-D-U-M-A-S. 
And so if you go there, you know, on the profile page, then you can, there's a link to my website, which is nextlearningsolutions.com. And that has, you know, bio and workshop samples and descriptions and my book information and links to Facebook and LinkedIn and a contact information for me and all that good stuff. So that's probably the easiest way is just go straight to Twitter. Even if you don't have Twitter, that's okay. Go to Twitter and, and put in the hash or the um, handle Chad Dumas and you'll find everything you need to know. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that. We will definitely put that in our show notes too. So we'll have that there if anyone wants to go through and, and add you on social media. I know that we will be doing that so we can follow you. Absolutely. Um, as we as we wrap up, is there anything else that you would like to share with us? Anything upcoming initiatives or things that you're working on that you think we would find interesting? Well, you know, um, the, the wonderful thing about my work as a consultant is there's such a variety of things that uh, I get to work on. So from, you know, training folks around PLC practices to formative assessment res, uh, usage and creation to grading practices to scheduling configurations, um, how to lead change. Um, one of the projects I'm excited about is, that I'm most recently uh, involved with is with the um, Ed Leaders Network. Uh, the Ed Leaders Network provides professional development for about 100,000 school leaders in, I don't know, 15, 17 different states, something like that. Yeah. Uh, and they provide webinars and on-demand courses and micro-credentials. And um, I just finished up creating two micro-credentials for them, and I'm creating um, two more on-demand classes. I created an on-demand course back in July, creating two more, and then also working on a couple more credential, micro-credentials, which will then also become a couple of on-demand courses. And those are around collaborative leadership and strategic, strategic leadership. Um, so that's kind of a, you know, a fun project that's you know, getting me to learn some more and create these videos and um, organize the content in such a way that's helpful for folks. And that's you know, in addition to all the trainings and coaching and other stuff. Uh, yeah. other but. Yeah, that is interesting. I think micro-credentialing has just continued to blow up, especially over COVID when people had extra time on their hands. Mm. There's so many different, um, you know, opportunities to learn without having to commit to the traditional degree or course yep. that you yep. can do those, yep. those little mini credentials. So we'll definitely be on the lookout for those as well. That sounds interesting. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I absolutely loved having the opportunity to chat with you today. Um, as I said, we'll share all your information in the show notes, and we are just so privileged to have you here. Thank you. Thank you so very much, Rachel. I really appreciate the opportunity to engage with you and your listeners, and I, I hope it's helpful. Thank you so much. This has been another episode of Dissecting Education, a production of In Pursuit Research, outcomes-driven, impact-focused. What are you in pursuit of?